Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hello and welcome to the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 25. Today I'm joined by Adam Parr of Transition Wild and Quiet Cat. We're talking Colorado elk and whitetail hunting and Adam's move from Michigan to Colorado and much, much more. So stay tuned. All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Clint Campbell. I gotta say, I'm pretty pumped today. The uh, weather finally broke uh, and finally getting a little bit of spring weather here in Pennsylvania. It's been, uh, we had a little tease earlier in the spring where we had some warm weather and then it got cold all of a sudden and it's just been kind of rainy ever since. I've been kind of cooped up inside, so the windows are open today. I've got a little extra kind of pep in my step, uh, seeing that big orange ball in the sky that I haven't seen in a while, so. So, uh, so you just have to bear with me here if I if I seem a little excited today. The uh, the one bummer about all the rain, or I guess the additional bummer about all the rain, was I was really planning a a turkey hunt in Ohio this year. I was really looking forward to that to kind of do a scout and a turkey hunt. Yeah, you know, scout of course for the upcoming deer season. And it just seems like every weekend it's just been rain all day Saturday. So uh, my my plans to head to Ohio for a turkey hunt I think are officially dead at this point. Um, which is kind of unfortunate. I was really looking forward to that. I, this weekend, of course, uh, you know, or this past weekend was was Mother's Day, and uh, the following weekend I have some some things to t- attend to that are family related, and then I have uh, then I have a, a gathering uh, over the course of the uh, the holiday weekend here that's coming up at the end of end of May. Um, you know, I will actually get out for one more turkey hunt. Uh, over the course of that holiday weekend with my dad. Um, I'm really looking forward to that. We haven't had a chance to hunt together in, geez, I don't know. It's been 
it's been at least 10 years since he and I have been able to actually hit the timber together just because we, there's distance between, you know, where he lives and where I live and our schedules matching up and so forth. So I'm really looking forward to that. But with this little bit of nice weather that I'm getting, it's like I have, and even whenever it was cold, I was still hitting the range, uh, quite a bit. And, uh, was really kind of continuing to work on extending my range and really kind of dialing it in, um, at a distance, uh, which has been going pretty well. I'm pretty excited about the progress I've made. It's, uh, you know, feeling pretty good out to roughly 60 yards, you know, preparing for that Western hunt this upcoming September and, uh, kind of now started working on in between distances, which are always kind of tricky. I've always felt really good at my in between, you know, my odd distances, whether it's, you know, 33, 37 yards, whatever the case might be. Um, you know, out to roughly 40 yards, anything over 40 yards, whenever I get to the odd distances, I'm just not as familiar with. So I started kind of pressing myself more in that regard and kind of getting, trying to get comfortable with those odd yardages, um, and understanding what's going to happen with the flight of my arrow as I step out to 58 yards or 56 yards, you know, really trying to determine, you know, at this point in the year, what pin I'm going to use for those distances that way, whenever, you know, if a shot opportunity presents itself here in the fall at that distance, I know automatically what pin I'm kind of going to. So I actually just got back from the range, was playing around with that a little bit, um, starting to get things figured out, but by no means is that, uh, locked in quite yet, but we'll continue to work on it and hopefully we'll be, we'll be dialed in by September. I anticipate, but, uh, speaking of elk hunting, I have a really interesting guest, uh, on today. Uh, a friend of mine, Adam Parr. Uh, some of you may may know him. He's been on a couple different podcasts in the in the past. He has an interesting story where he's a Midwesterner uh, by by birth, and uh, you know, kind of had that dream of headed heading west as as many of us do that are that are hunters and who love the outdoors. And he's just one of those cats that just kind of put it all together and and, and made it happen. Um, you know, beyond that, you know, he's, he has some experience now, obviously living out West where he's, he's kind of taking that step and chasing Western game. Um, and so I was really kind of curious to get his perspective as a new Westerner, if you will, and what it's like kind of making that transition from the Midwest, uh, to Western style hunting and some things that he's picked up and learned along the way, um, as he's making that transition. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get Adam on the line. But before we do that, let's hear this week's Whitetail Institute Food Plot Tip of the Week. Today, John shares how to best blend forages to provide deer a variety of forage throughout the various seasons. Okay, we talked about how to choose the, the optimum Whitetail Institute forage products, one or more, uh, for each plot. Um, think, about, think about variety. If, if you were to go into a buffet restaurant and they had hamburgers... Yeah, what if you didn't want a hamburger? You wanted something else. Well, you go in a buffet type thing, and you've got hamburgers and steak and all this. And uh, when you're deciding where to go, you're probably gonna gonna go to the place that that offers you uh, offers you more options than you would a place that just has one thing. And that is uh, that's that's a matter of increasing uh, perceived attraction, I guess you could put it, through variety. Uh, Whitetail Institute Forest products are all blends except for one product, Chick Magnet which is our chicory, and it was a component in our blends, and people just started asking for it separately, so we packaged it separately. But the point is is that uh, part of the method to our madness is to have blends of complementary forage types that maximize the performance of the plot across a broad range of categories for as long as possible. Um, you can you can actually increase that variety uh, attraction through variety even more, and this is not something you have to do, but it's just something to play with. If you put uh, put if you have more than one appropriate 
if you have more than one uh, forage that's right for that site, to plant them both in there. Uh, the, be- the best way to do that is not to try to put them one on top of the other. It's better to run them side by side for several reasons. One is our forage blends are already tested to ensure that the components are in the optimum ratios that our testing shows will maximize attractiveness to deer. Uh, if you try to mix mix two components or, or two, uh, two forage products, you're going to have to adjust the seed rates so you don't overplant. And it could be that you throw the, the ratios off, uh, which is not always going to be a bad thing, but it's, it's not going to really help. The second thing is you want to plant them side by side because that gives, I think, gives deer an even better feeling that there's more variety in the plot. And the third thing is it's fun. Uh, you can put your put your exclusion cage out cages out there, which we do in every plot we do, uh, and that's the only way to tell how hard deer are, are hitting uh, hitting the plot is with the exclusion cage. But you can compare and you can see which ones the deer prefer at what time of year, uh, and you know maybe maybe tweak your setup next year. It's a fun thing to do. And that, folks, is a Whitetail Institute food plot tip of the week. If you'd like to learn which Whitetail Institute products might be right for you, head over to whitetailinstitute.com to check out their product selector tool to help you determine which forage will work best for your food plot needs. And now let's get back to the show. All right, welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Truth from the Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and today I am joined by Adam Parr. Adam is a is a gentleman I ran into at the Harrisburg Outdoor Show, um, met him at the Quiet Cat booth, and we struck up a conversation and just kind of started BSing about hunting as, as folks do at those types of shows, and uh, he had a little bit of an interesting story that kind of really piqued my interest. He's, you know, I won't kind of divulge all the information, I'll let him kind of tell the, tell the story, but you know, I think at some point in time, all of us hunters probably kind of want to gravitate toward the West at some point. And I think a lot of us kind of think it's a, a pipe dream, so to speak. And then some of us, uh, or some of those, I should say, not us, cause I'm not included in that group, have the stones just to kind of go for broke and make it happen. And that's the, the type of guy we have on the, uh, on the show today. So before we get this party started, Adam, how, uh, how you doing, man? How, how are things? Hey, Clint, doing well. I appreciate you having me on here. Yeah, everything's good. Colorado is beautiful this time of the year. Yeah, it's rub it in. Turn nice. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, can't complain. That's uh, it's 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 great. I love I love it here, and it's it caters to my outdoor lifestyle. So I'm always outside doing something and just enjoying the the great outdoors. Nice. Yeah, I know we got to, to chat a little bit while we were at the outdoor show, and then we've traded a few texts and, and so forth. Um, but for those who aren't, aren't familiar with you or your or your blog, which we'll mention here, uh, through you know through the show, give everyone a sense of your background, where you're from, you know, originally, you know, where you live now, and then what you do kind of professionally and in the outdoor industry. Yeah. So I grew up in Michigan, born and raised, and. Grew up really um, hunting whitetail deer and small game and turkeys and all the above. Took my hunter safety before I could actually legally bow hunt. And then when I turned 12, I think it was 12, when you could start bow hunting for deer, um, I uh, you know just jumped right into it full force. And um, you know so that kind of evolved the uh, the addiction kind of increased and and uh started kind of branching out started doing some out-of-state trips 
and um, you know, just really fell in love with hunting. It was always one of those things that it was my passion. I had a lot of other hobbies, but hunting was always that kind of number one. And uh, Michigan, as probably you know, is very similar to Pennsylvania in the as far as deer hunters and you know how crazy we are and how many there are in, in the state. And um, so I think that really kind of, although it's not the best for a trophy hunting let's say but there are a lot of deer and and it's just part of our culture right so um it kind of made me who who i am um in my professional career so uh yeah i i moved out to colorado in uh, june of 2015 so coming up on two two years now and i work for a company called quiet cat which is uh, basically we make uh, electric portable electric atvs and electric fat tire mountain bikes. And we market them to hunters, fishermen, outdoorsmen as a way to access properties quickly, quietly, and scent free. So um, I am the head of sales for that, sales and marketing for them. And um, again, I work in the outdoor industry, so it's kind of kind of a dream come true. And, and um, I, I truly love what I get to do every day. That's awesome, man. So two, two questions for you. One, with your hunting background, as you mentioned, Michigan has a big heritage, you know, similar to, to Pennsylvania and so forth. Um, but did, did your family hunt typically growing up? Was it something you picked up from your dad or was it a grandfather or uncle? Like how, how did you kind of get into hunting at that early age? Yeah, a little bit of everything. My, my dad wasn't a serious hardcore hunter, you know, like to my level, but he, you know, definitely hunted growing up. Um, you know, he, but between me and my brother, he basically got us into archery and, and shooting guns and, and all that stuff. So kind of grew up with it a little bit in the family, but again, it's not like he's not on the same level. I took it to a whole different, you know, universe, I like to say, but, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, no, he definitely got us into hunting. And, um, and then my uncle, we'd hunt over at his place. He had a nice tract of land, um, near us. So we'd get to hunt there and that kind of, um, kind of garnished that, that kind of love with deer hunting and, and being in the outdoors. Nice. Yeah. So, and then quiet cat, that's, it's, it's interesting what you guys do. It's like the first time I, I forget what it was. I think I read an article about it. And I was like, wow, it's really interesting. Cause I was really kind of looking at access routes at that point on our farm. Cause our farm that we have, you know, that I hunt a lot of deer on uh, here in PA, access there is probably one of the things that I have is the biggest challenge on that, on that property. So I was kind of looking for possible solutions and I started listening to some guys that were, you know, riding mountain bikes and stuff like that. And I was like, well, mountain bike sounds great. I was like, but man, there's, I got some, you know, for Pennsylvania, this isn't Colorado standards, but I got some pretty deep hollows that I don't know that I want to necessarily mountain bike out of in the dark <laughs> in the evening. Yeah. And, and, uh, and so uh, the funny thing was I saw an ad for quiet cat and then I think it was that same off season. I saw, I'm a big time Steeler fan. So I saw Ben Roethlisberger had a quiet cat and he used it to get from practice field to practice field on his off day. So he would give his legs a rest. So you you have another sales opportunity there. I'm just going to kind of give that, give it to you free of charge. NFL quarterbacks that are on their, uh, on their last leg. Yeah. Hey, exactly. Yeah. No, Ben's, Ben's a great guy. Yeah. He, he, um, he loves his quiet cat. He also has one of our new bikes now. And, um, yeah, again, I mean, there's plenty of uses for these kind of electric vehicles and electric bikes. I mean, whether you're trying to access, you know, public land, um, you know, three miles in or just trying to go check 
trail cameras on the back 40, um, you know, really does make sense as far as, you know, obviously you're not making any noise. You're not making any, um, you, you, it's very low impact on the ground. There's, there's no scent. Um, you're in a lot more efficiently, you know, in and out quicker. So there's just less time to potentially bust deer. And, and for the guys that are, you know, might not be able to go as far as they used to, whether they're just getting older in age, have a disability, had a surgery, um, a knee replacement, it, it still allows them to get out there and, and do what they love. So that's, that's a pretty cool aspect about it. Yeah. And not to mention like the part that was appealing to me, uh, was two was, you know, low impact, of course, not having sound, being able to kind of, you know, get through. Cause a lot of our access, unfortunately on our farm is, is field related. And, you know, you go in in the mornings, it's, you're kind of busting up the field, which doesn't allow deer to kind of filter back into their bedding areas naturally. Um, two is just the sweat factor. You know, just like yeah. when I'm making some hikes in, it's like, if I can keep my sweat down, you know, it's obviously does wonders for me for scent control. But, uh, I'm a, uh, you know, you have my vote of confidence, especially if it helps Ben's legs and gets us another Super Bowl. So I'll be rooting for a quiet cat all this off season. <laughs> all right, perfect. Glad to help out. Yeah, for sure. But, uh, so speaking of deer hunting, man, how, and just hunting in general, how was your 2016 season? Did you mainly hunt Colorado or did you get a chance to get out of state at all? Yeah, I, I really just stuck to Colorado. I, I didn't draw my Kansas tag. I've drawn that tag the last couple of years and this last year I just didn't draw it. So that kind of threw a stick into things and I elk hunted in Colorado for archery in September. And then when it came to whitetails, I just purchased a leftover tag uh, for whitetail on the Eastern Plains and hunted there. So I got the Got best of both worlds, and um, yeah, it was it was a great season. Nice, and I know you're. I think if I'm not mistaken, you're uh, you have a plan to go to Iowa here in the works for 2017, right? Yeah, that's on the books. As long as we draw the tag, have three points, we may or may not draw. Me and my buddy and I have been putting in for the last three years, and we're gonna try to draw the tag. Not really sure what our odds are. I'm guessing somewhere around 50%. But I put in for Kansas as well. So I'll be able to. The nice thing about Kansas is it's only five hours. Where, where I actually hunt from where I live, it's about five hours. So that's, you know, that's pretty manageable for weekends or long weekends or, you know, just busting out there for a couple of days and coming back. So um, I have that. Um, since I didn't draw last year, I did receive a preference point, so I should draw it this year. So that's on the books. Um, Iowa's up in the air, and maybe I'll, if depending on if I get the Iowa tag or not, maybe I'll hunt on the eastern plains of Colorado if if everything goes well in Kansas. Nice, yes. I uh, I think I have what I've got. I think two more years before I think I would have a legitimate chance to draw one of the good zones in Iowa. And that actually, I think just opened right this past week. I think the, uh, putting in for your tags and buying your preference points just opened up this past the beginning of May, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. 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 I think you have another few weeks till beginning of June, I believe. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I'm looking forward. So have you hunted Iowa before or would this be your first Iowa trip? I have not hunted Iowa. My buddy, Joey and I just recently took a trip out there and end of March, we went out and did a little bit of scouting. 
were able to kind of digital scout from above prior to that, kind of figure it out some areas where we wanted to go, but we went out there and were able to, to walk around and, and learn some of the areas, learn a lot of areas we didn't want to hunt and, um, learn some good access routes and potential potential spots to go to so other than that that's really all the experience i have in iowa nice yeah i'm looking forward to uh to one day making a trip i'm on the fence man because it's like i know you know roughly it's an every four-year draw for the for the prime zones but i've also kicked around the idea of drawing one of the you know what i'll call the the lesser zones if you will because you i could probably draw or you know whomever puts in you know and has preference points could probably draw every two years and for a guy from Pennsylvania, I kind of look at it like even if I'm drawn in one of the lesser, lesser desired zones in Iowa, I'm still going to run into cali- caliber deer that I've never seen before in the Pennsylvania woods. So I was, <laughs> I'm kind of like, do I make trips more often, or do I kind of hold out and go to one of the uh, one of the one of the better zones? What do you think? You know, you're exactly right. I mean, coming from, you know, me coming from Michigan, you from Pennsylvania, I mean, <laughs> pretty much once you leave the state lines and head west, you're getting into better deer hunting. <laughs> right. And, and the way I look at it, too, is, yeah, you're in Iowa. I mean, everyone talks about Iowa's, you know, the land of the giants, and, it, and to a certain extent it is, but it's still going to be challenging, mm-hmm. but, I mean the deer there, the, the age class, the buck to doe ratio is just going to be much better than what me and you, um, are used to, um, you know, hunting pressured states such as Michigan and and Pennsylvania. So, I mean, it's completely up in the air. I think you can find good deer anywhere you go to and and plenty of good public as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I even had, I went to Ohio this year. That was my first trip to Ohio and that was, I mean, that was the the hunting, you know, from PA to just Ohio, like one state over was just insane. Like I could have never yeah. imagined. Different world. Yeah, I, I, I hunted Ohio as well. And same thing. I mean, yeah, it's a bordering state. But as soon as you cross the state line, it's it's a completely different animal. And uh, I really I really enjoyed hunting Ohio as well. It was bigger woods hunting than what I grew up. I Southern Michigan, where I was at, is a lot of crop fields, but you know, still a good amount of timber mixed in, but those, those rolling, you know, hills and just miles of, of timber is it's challenging to hunt, but there's definitely good deer down there. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That's kind of where I got, what I got into was that kind of bigger timber setting. I tried to, you know, I stayed away from anything that even kind of uh, resembled agriculture for obvious reasons is wanting to get away from where people were going to likely kind of gather and easier, easier access to get into. But so, you know, I've, as I mentioned, you know, you and I had met at the, at the outdoor show and I've been following you on social media, you know, since then basically. And, you know, we've shared a few texts of course, and I know you've been doing a lot of scouting lately and I'm going to be completely honest. Some of the pictures that you share make me absolutely jealous of like the views that you get to see in the the terrain, you get to kind of hike through and stuff like that. But with that being said, you know, have you had any good finds like, you know, whether it would be, you know, some good bone find or like any new public land that you've kind of stumbled onto that you really found that, that you thought was really attractive to you for this upcoming elk season? Yeah, a little bit of both. I, I've definitely been pounding, pounding the miles here over the last month or so, really. I mean, uh, mule deer, I've picked up probably, I don't know, 10 or so mule deer sheds nothing crazy but i found a 
few pretty nice match sets. Um, as far as elk, I've found five, six antlers so far. I, it's pretty crazy. I, I've, I've lived out here a couple years. I've actually shed hunted in Colorado for th- the past three years. This is my third season, and I have yet to find a fresh elk shed. Really? Um, know what the i'm like cursed i don't know what what the deal is but i find elk sheds but i can't seem to find a fresh one they're always a year or two or four or five years old and they're all chalked out but right. hey they're they're still fun to find and i really do enjoy shed hunting i was a huge shed hunter back in michigan i'd get out of school or class in high school and i just you know in the spring i just bomb right out to to uh properties to go walking and it's it's the same thing here except it's a little tougher because you really out here especially for elk sheds you really can't just say oh i'm gonna go out for an hour or two hours it's it's more like it's gonna take you an hour or two just to get to where you're gonna start finding sheds and then you know then you are gonna be you know in the zone where they're gonna be so it's a little bit challenging in that respect but yeah i've been able to find some antlers it's been a lot of fun um in accordance to that i've kind of been able to scout some areas i'm not really where you hunt elk and where you find elk sheds are kind of in opposite locations so to speak so um so what i'm doing now is not really pertaining to what i'll be hunting this coming fall that being said, I'm starting to find some areas where they do start to overlap or they're in kind of close close proximity that you can kind of hike through on the way out or way in, you know. So um, as far as right now, it's really just shed hunting, but that'll transition here pretty soon to setting up cameras and, and actually scouting for upcoming hunting season. Nice. Yeah, I'm a... I shed hunt just about every year for the past couple of years, and I have yet to find one. Um, I'm, I always say... <laughs> I'm possibly Colorado, man. We'll, we'll get you hooked up. Hey man, I will take you up on that offer for sure. Colorado (laughs) is like probably one of my favorite States. It's truth be told my wife and I, when we were moved back to Pennsylvania, we were coming back from Florida and I had a job opportunity in Colorado. Um, however, my wife and daughter were in Pennsylvania because we were considering moving to PA and I was still in Florida. So we were trying to figure out where we were going to move to. And it was just, I had a job opportunity in Colorado and I had one here uh, near Philadelphia. And it was one of those things where if I took the one in Colorado, you know, it's going to be a while, probably like another six months before I could get my family out there. So I wasn't going to see them very often. And we were already kind of apart for six months at that point. And our daughter was only, I mean, she was, I think maybe two at the time. And, uh, or I could take the job in Philadelphia and I could drive home every weekend and see them. And so the uh, the heartstrings won out and I, we took the gig in Philadelphia. That way I could be closer to them. But there's definitely some days where I kind of uh, where I kind of kick myself because uh, Colorado was definitely calling. It was always the place that we looked at too and like circled on the map. We were like, this is where we're moving, and it just we didn't we didn't take it. But I'm a terrible shed hunter. That's the moral of the story there. And uh, if a, a job opportunity comes along in Colorado, don't do what I did and just take it. <laughs> Yeah, man, it's tough. I mean, family, you know, I can't speak to where, where you're at. I mean, I'm single. I don't have a, you know, wife. I don't have any kids. So um, when I did move out, I did have a girlfriend at the time. But um, really, I mean, it was a pretty easy move. Um, but yeah, leaving family and what you know for, you know, your whole life and, and moving somewhere is, is quite difficult. So it's it's not something that everybody can do. And But don't count yourself out, man. You might be out here and 
couple years who knows you know you, you never say never right that's right man it's like i'm still leaving it on the table we still kick it around once in a while it's uh you know it's still in the plans it's let's say it's not it's not been vetoed completely but uh <laughs> so speaking of your transition out there it's a, a perfect segue it's almost like we planned this um it, your blog transition wild is you know interesting as you're kind of detailing your story as someone who's gone from a midwesterner to a person who's moved to colorado and as I'd mentioned at the top, it's, I think anyone who really, you know, has a passion for the outdoors, likes being outside, enjoys hunting, sees the West as this like, you know, Mecca kind of, right? It's like you have the music yeah. scene and it's like the Mecca is always kind of LA and New York. It's like when you're talking hunting, you know, the, the Mecca is really heading to those Western states. And so I'm just curious, you know, what was the deciding factor for you to make that move? Because as you said, it's like leaving any leaving what you know and what you're comfortable and familiar with is is a, is a challenge. You know, so was this something you always wanted to do, or was this spur of the moment? You know, so how did this kind of come about? Yeah, it was kind of. I'd say my situation is pretty similar to yours. It was so probably can't remember what year it was, but my my buddies dad um he has a place out here and we would take some vacations out here and um i took some work trips out here after after graduated from college and other vacations i have family out here too so i was always familiar with it and every time i moved or went out here for either vacation or some sort of trip it was one of those things that you'd never wanted to leave it was like i love the mountains i love the how much public land there is there's just it's an active outdoor you know um state and it's just kind of what i always dreamed of and i always told myself if i ever moved from michigan the only state i could ever see myself moving to was colorado so um, you know, I graduated college. I went to, uh, went to work for a company, solar company there and it was great, but there was always this thing in the back of my mind, like, you know, again, um, you know, it would be nice to move there. And it was one of those things where it's kind of that far-fetched dream, right? You never think you're going to do it, but one day, uh, my girlfriend at the time, she was, just kind of like, well, let's move to Colorado, just pretty much out of the blue. And I was like, are you serious? I mean, you really, you want to move there? I mean, and I, and, uh, so we kind of talked it over and I was like, yeah, I'm down. Let's, let's go. And it wasn't, it wasn't something that we just kind of spur of the moment, like just upped and moved. It was a process, right? So, so it kind of made the decision that would have been like, let's see, like late 2014, early 2015, let's say around Christmas time, 2014, um, you know, January 2015. So kind of put the steps in place, uh, sold the house, quit my job and started kind of interviewing and, and doing the whole flying thing back and forth, interviewing with companies and, and, um, yeah, it just kind of all worked out. So six months after that, we, uh, had moved out in June of 2015 and kind of started that whole journey. So it, again, it was one of those things that I always thought I could see myself living there, but never really thought it would happen. And then it just kind of took something to kind of, you know, put you over the edge and actually do it. And then again, be smart about it. So you put, put the process and the steps in place. So you actually have a job when you get out there and, you know, everything's all kind of kosher by the time you make that move. 
Right. Yeah. It's a, you did a lot more planning than me. My move to, when my wife and I moved to Florida, we were dating at the time. Uh, I, uh, I called her one day and said, she was getting ready to graduate from college. And I was a, you know, musician type of like, type of guy, I guess you would say. And, nice. Yeah. And uh, I called her one day. She was graduating in a week. And I called her and I said, hey, you know, I'm going to come to your graduation next week and everything on Saturday or whatever. I was like, but uh, after that, I was like, you know, I'm I'm going to move to or I'm going to move to Orlando. And if you want to go, that's cool. But if not, I'm, I'm going to go. And uh, she was like, um, she's like, yeah, I'm going. And I was like, all right. So she literally went down like, or maybe it was two weeks before her graduation, but she literally went down like the week before and, she, and got an interview and ended up getting a gig. And then uh, we drove down, like she graduated on Saturday and we drove down like Sunday morning and went and moved to Orlando. It was like a two week process. It was like, Hey, we're going, let's, let's do it. That's impressive. Yeah. It was, uh, I was a lot younger and, uh, and marginally dumber. We'll say, because <laughs> I don't know that that necessarily always, you know, completely wears off with age, but I hope that some of it did at least. Um, so I know nice. that I know that the 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 allure of the West, as I had mentioned, is, you know, the is you know, the outdoors and of course the, the great hunting that exists out there. So, you know, and I think a lot of people kind of attribute it to, you know, whether it's uh, elk or chasing mule deer or whatever the case is. But I know you mentioned earlier that you were doing some whitetail hunting. Can how is the whitetail hunting in Colorado? Like is you know, is it is it pretty good? Give me a comparison to what you've experienced in some other states, I guess. Yeah, the deer hunting is pretty good. I it's not one of those states that when it comes to whitetails, you don't really think of Eastern Colorado, right? It's, it's kind of on the back burner. We all think, uh, Iowa, Kansas, Nebraska, Missouri, um, you know, those kind of States, but there's definitely deer on, on, uh, Eastern plains of Colorado and even kind of up into the foothills, you know, at the base of the mountains heading up into, uh, to elk country. But I was hunting on the Eastern plains it's a completely different environment than, you know, what you and I grew up in. It's very flat. It is very open. So not a whole lot of trees. Uh, pretty much the, the property I was hunting, uh, private land, I kind of went out and started knocking on doors, not in the summer. I kind of just showed up in the fall and, and kind of had to scramble to find some land, but, um, got access to a few properties, but, Again, very, very flat, and the particular one property I was hunting is really just two giant sections, um, 640 acres each, so there's two of them. Um, the one uh, really was the one I was focusing on, and it was just CRP grass, the entire thing. It wasn't a, really a tree on the place, so that's very can be very intimidating for especially a guy who's used to trees and big timber to go out there and do that. But I've, I've kind of slowly kind of worked up to that through Kansas, Kansas, I feel is like kind of the perfect, uh, liaison, I guess, between Midwest and hunting more of the Western whitetail States. Cause you do have some trees, you do have some river bottom. Um, it's kind of a mix of both stationary, you know, stand or blind hunting versus spot and stalk. Right. So, um, Eastern Colorado is pretty much, you can sit stationary, but it's pretty tough because there's really no, um, travel corridors or pinch points or funnels. It's just literally you see them and then go after one. So it's, <laughs> it's a lot of fun though. I mean, it's completely different and I had a blast hunting out there this year. So, 
that's the one thing that I think is interesting about the West. I'm making my first Western trip this year. Well, it, to the Western, I guess, lower 48. I've, I've hunted Alaska in the past, but um, I've never hunted, you know, anything as far as whitetail, you know, west of Ohio. Um, and I'll make my first elk trip this year to Montana in September, which will be, I'm really looking forward to. Yeah. And it's a... Uh, it's, it's a much more active hunt in the West, you know what I mean? At least from, you know, I have some friends who live out West as well. And it's, that's kind of the, what I get. It's like, everything is an active kind of moving spot and stock, you know, on your feet, uh, hunt versus kind of standing, sitting, standing and waiting. Right. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yeah. 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 I, it really is. I, you know, I prefer Kansas over eastern Colorado. One, because... The deer are better, at least what I've experienced, the deer are better, um, bigger deer, um, better age structure. But the thing I like about hunting the West and what I've really grown to like is you have, like you said, a more interactive hunt. If you if you want to go hunt, hunt in a stand or set up a ground blind or sit stationary, you can. But if you want to you know, um, have more of a mobile hunt and cover some ground, you can do that as well. And the, and whether you're hunting public or private, these tracts of land are, you know, much larger. I mean, I was hunting pieces that were a couple thousand acres in size, private um, and public as well. But you just don't, where we grew up, uh, at least in southern Michigan uh, and where you grew up in Pennsylvania, you probably just don't get to experience large tracts of land like that. So, the thing is, in, in those higher pressure states, you're worried about, you know, bumping deer or you're worried about, you know, screwing things up and pushing them over to your neighbors. Whereas out here, you have so much land to play with, you can afford to take some risks. So if you see if you see a buck bed down in a little spot or a little fence row and, and you want to go after them, you can. And you don't got to worry about, you know, blowing things out of the whole property or and if that doesn't work out, you move on to the next one. So it's it's a really cool dynamic. Um, I've really grown to love it because you do have so many options. Right. Yeah. It's interesting. You're right because, you know, here and in, I'm sure in southern Michigan, it's, you know, depending on how much ground you have. But, you know, most people have, you know, if they're lucky, maybe they have 100, 200 acres. And you know, a lot of people are hunting on a lot smaller parcels than that around here. And if yeah. you make that one mistake on that one deer that you know you have on your property that you're kind of that's the guy for the year, you know, you make one mistake, it could be, you know, sayonara. You know, your hunting season's kind of over at that point, um, at least for that property. You, know, you usually have to have multiple around here to kind of to hunt, just because you know, especially if you're going to play the wind and so forth. You you know that a property might be small enough to where you really only have a wind that you can hunt it. You know, so exactly. if you don't have that wind, you're kind of out of luck for that property. Um, so speaking of, you know, hunting whitetail and muleys and elk, how difficult from a non-resident perspective is it to get a tag for Colorado? Are there over-the-counter opportunities or is it, is it a tough state to draw in? So deer, whether it's whitetail or mule deer is all over the counter. 
Um, actually, I take that back. There is a there is a late season whitetail. Um, you know, really in Colorado, there's there's kind of that there's this buffer zone, right? It's called the foothills in between the eastern plains and where you actually get into the mountains. Mountains. So there are some over counter whitetail tags there because for some reason or another, they don't want them. I don't believe how they want the state managed. They want to kind of keep that buffer there. So they want the whitetails out of that area. Mm-hmm. So there are some over the counter opportunities there. I think it's like December through to January 1st. Um, I've looked into it. I just haven't hunted it. It's one of those things where there's probably not that many whitetails in that area. So, um, it's a tough hunt, more private land. Uh, as far as mule deer, again, everything's a draw, um, with both mule deer and whitetail. There are usually depending on the unit. I mean, there's, there's leftover tags. So the tags that don't get purchased or, um, or drawn, they basically early August, the uh, Department of Wildlife releases that list, and then you can go in there and see, you know, what tags are available for certain units and certain, um, you know, methods of take, whether it's archery or rifle or muzzleloader. So you can always find, like I bought my whitetail tag as a as a leftover. I didn't put in for that that draw. So um, and then as far as elk, there are plenty of over the counter opportunities for um, bulls archery there are i think in total there are 137 130 some units that are over the counter um either sex archery tags for for elk um granted there's only 78 or so 70 or 80 that are west of i-25 which is you know where you want to be uh so there's definitely over the counter archery opportunities there's over the counter uh, rifle for bull as well, second and third season rifle. Uh, but as far as like cow cow tags, there's some over the counter archery, just cow only. Um, the rifle with cows, I believe, are all draw, uh, other than some private land opportunities. Colorado's pretty confusing at the end of the day, and I'm, trying, <laughs> I'm still trying to learn the whole system. Right, but that's kind of the gist of it. There's there's definitely opportunities. Elk is probably Colorado's probably the the most hunted elk state in the country. I mean, there's with the amount of over the counter tags there are available and the sheer number of elk in the state. It's 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 really the kind of destination state for a lot of first time elk hunters because of you know all of that. Right. Yeah, my dad actually took uh, a bull in in Colorado. I want to say it was maybe four years ago. Um, I know he plans to to come back. Do you are you doing any, a, a fair amount of of mule deer hunting? Or are you are you concentrating mainly on elk? Like, what's your what's your breakout for your for your hunting season usually look like? Yeah, I haven't I haven't mule deer hunted yet. I I want to archery hunt, and those tags seem to be a little bit easier to draw i'm kind of holding out for a little bit better unit you know it's going to take two or three years to draw um so i haven't hunted muleys it's definitely on the list next year i'm going to try to draw a tag i just have to decide where i want to hunt because honestly where i was hunting out on the i always thought i wanted to kill one in the mountains Mm -hmm. right like kind of do that high country mule deer hunt but after hunting the eastern plains of colorado and seeing some of the giants out there 
I'm, I don't know which way I'm going to go yet. As <laughs> as, if, if I can get access to some, some land out on the Eastern Plains, I could find myself hunting out there for muleys because there are some absolute giants out there as well. Nice. So even as a resident, you have to draw for a mule, t- mule deer tag? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Everything's draw. Hmm, interesting. So now that we've kind of covered whitetails and, and, and so forth, I want to talk a, a little elk hunting. As I had mentioned earlier, I'm, I'm going to be taking my first elk trip this year on a, uh, a Montana trip for two weeks, doing a, a public land DIY hunt with a buddy of, uh, of ours who lives out in Montana, which is great. Cause he actually works for the, uh, the, the forestry industry and, um, knows his, uh, he's got some pretty prime public land spots kind of locked down that he's been hunting for a while. He took a nice bull last year too. Um, so nice. I'm looking forward to that, but I wanted to get a sense of kind of how you prepare for elk season, you know, and I wanted to kind of start with your off season and, and the types of things you're doing, you know, now in terms of scouting. Cause I know you mentioned earlier that you kind of were, you're shed hunting and you found some sheds and that at times while you're shed hunting, you're kind of, you'll get to a point to maybe where the area that you're finding sheds in overlaps with areas that you might think about hunting. But I wanted to kind of talk about more specifically, like how you're scouting for the upcoming elk season. So, you know, what type of land are you scouting? Is it public? Is it private? You know, and, and let's, I guess, give us a sense of the type of pressure that you encounter in either of those uh, land s- scenarios. Yeah. So, um, elk hunting is, for me, is all public land, over the counter tags. So, uh, really, Kind of what I'm focusing on right now as far as scouting is really Google Earth um, at this point. And I, what I'm trying to do is, is locate potential spots. And I, because I live here, have the luxury of kind of picking a spot on a map and then I can go there and say yay or nay, right? And a lot of people don't have that, especially, you know, you coming from, you know, the eastern part of the country and doing an elk hunt. You can't just say, oh, I'm going to go check out that spot in real life. Right. So that's kind of the luxury I have, which is nice. Um, so really I am, again, looking at Google, um, Google Earth. It's such a valuable tool. And Colorado is, is pretty neat. Um, I wrote an article on my blog recently about it, but it basically you can go to the Colorado Department of Wildlife and download these uh, KMZ files for Google Earth that show ranges for any type of species you want to hunt. Oh, wow. So, yeah, so it's pretty cool. So you can go there, download those if you want to learn where their winter ranges are. They've kind of got that area outlined. If you want to learn where their summer patterns are, um, they've got that outlined. Um, if you want to learn where their rutting, you know, is, it's all these uh, features that you can overlay on Google Earth. So as far as kind of finding an initial spot, I I like to reference off of those. And and again, they're not going to be exactly right. Right. You know, as far as like being right on the money, but you're going to get in a general area and it's going to be up to you when it comes to scouting or actually the hunt itself to kind of make a move and, and, and locate those animals. Um, so that's a really valuable resource if you might want to check and see if Montana has anything like that, but it sounds like you have a pretty good hookup with a, with a buddy who knows the area. So, um, as far as specifics, what I look for, what I've learned over the past just this past season of elk hunting, 
I found that all of my encounters were, at least for early archery season, um, archery season um, in Colorado, the elevation was anywhere from 9,500 to 10,500. So kind of in that window. And a lot of that terrain was where the dark timber, so the pines and the spruces are meeting the aspens. So it's kind of like, you know, that transition zone for whitetails, right? So for elk, the bedding area is going to be your, all your dark timber north facing, you know, it's cooler, um, it's shaded and that's where they bet at. Right. And then, and then you'll find they kind of transition maybe to through the aspens. There's a little bit more light coming in. There's more food in there. And then they like to feed out into meadows if you can find some of those areas. Um, so again, that, that kind of magic elevation I was finding, nine five to ten five was really where we were having all of our encounters last year um, throughout the entire archery season so from there i kind of look at um you know what type of uh, land formations or terrain that elk like and um, anytime that you can find a flat bench it seems like that's where you'll find a lot of uh, sign a lot of rutting activity um, you know, just elk travel in general. They love those flat benches. So if you can locate some of those. So similar, uh, similar to whitetail, they're, you know, they're yeah. like what I'm kind of hearing you say is like, so you have an elevation kind of thing in play, right? Which obviously is a little different than whitetail, right? Cause you're not, you don't, you're not dealing with that much elevation. Um, but I mean, if you, if you think about it though, when you're thinking about whitetail, it's, you know, you're just talking about on a larger scale for elk, right? Cause deer, yeah. you know, a, a mature buck is going to want to use that, top third of a ridge is how he's going to want to travel for a bunch of different reasons. He wants to play yeah. the thermal. He also wants to not, you know, uh, silhouette himself, you know, against the, or he doesn't want to skyline himself um, yeah. and uses that top third. It sounds like, you know, from layman's terms, it sounds like that nine, five to 10, five for you is kind of like that top third maybe of, of where they're traveling. And there also seems like they're using edge as well, whether it's edge, you know, to travel or to, you know, to get into the, certain area where it's going to be cooler to bed or into a more open area that's getting more sunlight to, to feed. So it sounds like they, they act similarly, however, in different terrain. Is that kind of like a fair, somewhat a fair assessment? Yeah, definitely. For sure. I mean, we were, we were hunting above that as well. I mean, there were, there was a day or two that we went up to tree line, which in Colorado is about 11, five, um, somewhere in there. And there was definitely sign up there and we, we found elk, um, Kind of, well, signs of elk. We actually never saw an elk in those in those areas we were hunting. Don't know what it was. I mean, it absolutely smelled like a barnyard. Tracks everywhere, <laughs> rubs everything that you would expect. But we just could not locate them there. But uh, uh, yeah, I mean, you're you're exactly right. In a lot of ways, elk can be very similar to whitetail. Uh, just kind of reading rain a little bit and and uh, on a larger scale, like you said. Right. So what type of sign? So you ran into some signs. So what type of sign are you specifically looking for? And what do you, at least in your experience, find as the most helpful sign or something that when you see you're like, okay, this is this is what I was looking for? You know, with elk, it's very it's pretty tough. I mean, part of the the hardest part about an elk hunt, what I found, is just locating them. And a lot of guys will say the same thing. So even though you do find sign, you find rubs, you find tracks, um, it smells like a barnyard, you can actually 
smell the elk. I mean, they just have this pungent kind of cattle like odor. And, um, a lot of times last year I was just like, man, I feel like we're going to bump something any second or see something any second. And a lot of cases it just wasn't the case. So, you know, it can be very deceiving even though, and that's the tough part about it. Again, it's just locating them. So even though you see all these rubs, you see all these, uh, tracks you get up somewhere and you try to glass for a ways and and try to find something um we found wallows well it it also depends on the time of year you're hunting too right trying to hunt opening weekend they're going to be maybe more in their summer patterns and hitting some of those water holes in the evening uh wallow stuff like that and then you know when you move more towards the the rut uh later in september it can be kind of a free for all, just just like in whitetails. You never, they're not exactly in their bed to feed patterns, and they're going to be running around all over the place. So, again, it's it's elk. I found where once you find them, they're easier to kill and easier to get on mm-hmm. because they're just not as like spooky. They're not as alert. They're a little bit bigger animal, and and they're just different um and and a little bit easier to to get away with on movements just in my experience um so that that makes it difficult just you look and oh i i would say if you're in an area for a day or two and you're not finding sign i mean move on and and try something else because you could sit there the entire week and you just missed that herd or just missed some elk moving through and now they're a couple ranges over so it's it's tough really is yeah, and you're definitely putting on the miles during that during that period of tracking them down and trying to keep up with them or cut them off or whatever the case is. But yeah, what uh, so I know you're hunting. You know, obviously, you know, especially when you're hunting public land out west, you're hunting vast, you know, landscapes of you know thousands of acres on, in most cases. And even when you're on private, like you were talking about earlier, on the, uh, I think it was a whitetail hunt you were talking about. You were still hunting between the two parcels. You were hunting over close to, you know, 1300-ish acres. So, you know, for me, I guess the question is, is, are you using game cams at all to kind of help you compile intel or is it kind of a, a futile effort whenever you're talking about that much that much land? Before we hear how Adam is using game cameras, I want to take a quick second to pause to talk about our partners at Exodus Outdoor Gear. This week's Exodus experience is from me, yours truly. I've been using Exodus trail cameras since uh, this past early fall, and have to say without a doubt, these have been the best cameras that I've ever put into the timber. Uh, Two things that I really look for in a camera whenever I'm making a, a camera choice is picture quality and battery life. Number one, who wants grainy pictures, right? You want to be able to see what you're what you're tracking and, and, and kind of get a good look at the bucks that you want to want to potentially pinpoint for the upcoming year. And also, battery life. I live a few hours hours away from the property that I typically am hunting back home on our family farm and can't afford for my cameras to eat a ton of batteries every few weeks. Um, I just don't have the time to get back there to change out batteries often enough. So I really need the batteries that I put in there to have a long uh, shelf life, if you will, uh, to ensure whenever I do make my camera card pulls that they are not blank or that I don't get gaps in data um, due to due to uh, dead batteries. Uh, the Exodus Lift camera has performed uh, above the line in both of these categories for me. I'm still on the original set of batteries from October. 
that I placed in the camera, and I still have 50% battery left uh, in my most recent pool. Uh, this particular camera is on a food plot, so I'm getting a high picture rate. So that kind of speaks to the uh, the the quality of the camera in terms of how it's able to kind of manage its 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 battery intake um, and the quality of the the battery life. Uh, of course, is not to be outdone uh, by their five year warranty and their five year theft policy, which is absolutely unmatched in the industry. And if that's not enough, they've upped the ante this year and taken their game camera game. No, uh, no pun intended, to the next level with the upcoming release of the new Exodus Lift Mark II camera. So I would say if you're looking for a new camera, I highly suggest you head to ExodusOutdoorGear.com and check out their cameras and pre-order the new Lift 2 camera. The guys at Exodus also are hooking up all the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast listeners with a 10% discount on all camera purchases when you use the promo code TRUTH at checkout. With that said, let's get back to the show and hear how Adam is using his camera for elk hunting yeah i definitely use cameras i'll use them for both elk and whitetail but i really don't try to pattern any specific deer off of those cameras really what i'm trying to do is just get an inventory of what's of what's potentially in the area and then from there i'm just gonna adjust on the fly because again, there's really, at least for where I'm hunting in whitetails, there's not a whole lot of funnels and pinch points. Um, so I'm just going to, if I know there's deer in the area and I know there's going to be some um, good bucks utilizing this property, I just need to be in the game and make my adjustments from there. Um, kind of same thing with elk. I mean, again, they're herd animals. They're going to move. They could be in completely different locations. Um, from one day to the next. So, uh, again, it's just learning about what's in the area and, and getting out there and playing the cards that are dealt when you're actually hunting. Right. So, it's another question I kind of have, and I'm, I'm just curious about the elk stuff because since I'm headed headed out there, it's like I'm kind of uh, <laughs> I'm kind of getting some intel from you, so I can try to trying hopefully to all in, right? That's right, man. I'm ta- I'm literally taking notes while you're talking, so I'm like, all right, man, remember this, remember this. Um, I'm not sure if even when you hunt whitetail, because I mean, some people buy into it, some people don't, but that's the moon phase. And I'm just curious, number one, is that something you've ever really bought into? And two, if you, if you do, you know, have you seen it play out in any kind of scenario that, you know, one moon is better than another whenever you're, when it comes to elk hunting? Yeah, I, you know, I can't, I can't honestly say I'm, I'm too familiar with moon phases when it comes to elk hunting. Um, deer, I'm definitely more familiar with it, but, um, elk really, I've only been hunting elk for, for one year. So I'm, I'm by no means an expert, but, um, as far as what I know, I mean, if there is a moon, you're going to, you're going to find that, you know, there's going to be some more activity taking place at night. Um, potentially if if it's a full moon and, and no cloud cover with that being said, I've, I've also read or, um, that elk kind of are on a certain pattern, much like deer. So if they're out rutting or feeding at night, um, they'll feed every, you know, five, six hours or so, or, or move every five, six hours. So you might catch them more, um, middle of the day, something along those lines, but I really don't buy it. I'm not going to base, uh, necessarily a hunt around the moon, or say, oh, it's a full moon during right in the middle of my hunt. Uh, it's going to be a terrible week. I think it's one of those things where you just have to adjust and and maybe um, change up your timing a little bit. And uh, again, it's not like they're going to disappear. Uh, you might have to cover some more miles, 
get a little bit creative, but um, it's not something I pay a whole lot of attention to. Right. Yeah. I'm kind of in the same boat for you know, for Whitetail one year I, when I finally kind of started investigating the moon a little bit. I, you know, what I guess you would re- refer to as red moons. And, you know, I had a red moon in the evening. I went out and did a hunt and I saw a couple bucks on public land that I had just minimally scouted from aerials and then did like a speed scout one afternoon. And I was like, oh, wow, you know, the moon kind of played out. So I, was, I paid a little bit of attention as I went forward and didn't – I personally didn't see things starting to line up. Now, that just might have been me not being observant enough, which is absolutely 100% possible. <laughs> I'm not going to say that it's uh, yeah. I was 100% paying attention the way I should. But I'm kind of in the same boat to where it's uh, – I'd be lying if I'd say I, I don't look at it from time to time and see, you know, especially if I just have like a weekend that I'm going to take off uh, from work – or not yep. from work, but if I have a weekend that I'm going to travel back home to hunt, it's like I'll kind of look at two weekends and be like, all right, which weekend do I want to go? Okay, the weather's looking better this weekend, and I have a moon. Okay, that's the weekend I'm going to go. If it kind of says, if both things are lining up for me, if they're not both lining up for me, I'm going on the better weather weekend. And that's just kind of how how I kind yeah. of approach it. But I, I was curious too, just from the perspective of you know, because the big difference for me, at least, you know, my buddies who uh, I'm going out hunting um, elk with. We're kind of, you know, whenever we were kind of first talking about and they were describing it to me and kind of, you know, we were talking about me possibly going was, you know, they asked me if I like turkey hunting and I was like, sure, you know, like turkey hunting. And they were like, well, just imagine it's like a 900 pound turkey. He was like, because, it, you know, you call to it, it answers to answers you, you know, it's, it's, it's a similar style of hunt is what they were kind of, I guess, trying to, you know, drive the point across to me. And yeah. It, you know, in, in that regard, it's a little bit more inter, interactive. So I was curious, do you find like any particular time of like... I guess, let me ask it this way. Are there any type of weather conditions or any type of conditions in general that you find that you get better reactions to your calling than other weather conditions? You know, I really, and again, I'm, I'm pretty new at this game as well. So I can't, I can't say I'm an expert by, by any means, but, um, yeah, definitely when it's cooler and, and, uh, higher, higher pressure, kind of nicer days, I, I found more success. Um, where I hunted at last year opening weekend, typically a lot of people don't hear of bulls screaming and bugling and, and rutting and, and doing that whole thing. But I experienced that my very first elk hunt on that opening weekend in August. And so they were very vocal. I, I would, if I had call, they would answer back and um, it was a really cool scenario. Now the week I killed my bull last year, we couldn't get anything to answer us, um, really. And, um, as far as like kind of some locator bugles and whatnot, uh, did some cow calling and, uh, you know, had, had some success on, on that front. But I, I really can't say, at least from my experience, certain weather patterns that, that kind of, you know, increase or, uh, make calling better or worse in, in those certain scenarios. Right. So the one thing I'm kind of curious about, because I know, you know, we, we, we talked about, you know, the, your, your background coming from, from Michigan and, you know, started out as a whitetail hunter and you're in Colorado and you're really enjoying the elk, the elk hunting and all the things that Colorado kind of has to offer in, in, in that regard. And I wanted to just kind of get a sense of, you know, cause it's, it's a big change, like going from the Midwest to the, to the West. Right. So I wanted to get a sense of what type of big adjustments you had to make just in your hunting style alone by moving from Michigan to Colorado? 
Yeah, the two biggest adjustments I would say are physical, you know, requirements that go into a hunt and uh, gear that you need, depending depending on the style of hunting you want to do. Um, so the air is drier, the elevation is higher, um, less oxygen, and the terrain is 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 much uh, steeper, um, as we all know. So definitely physical requirements um, are, are uh, heightened here. You need to be in pretty good shape. I'm not one of those guys that's like, oh, I'm a serious workout guy, and, and I do work out and I run, and I try to stay active as much as possible, which is kind of why I moved out here. It's just a very outdoor, uh, eccentric, very healthy area everyone's doing something um but it's just it's different um you know you have i'm not one of those guys that says you have to be in the best shape of your life in order to kill an elk because you don't i'm i'm kind of proof of that from from last year um but you you do need to train for it you need you need to put on some miles uh do some pack walks build up your legs build up your cardio and just be in as good a shape as you can be before you come out and hunt. Um, and then the other part of that is, is having the right gear, uh, for the type of style of hunting that you're, you're getting into. So coming from Michigan and even hunting in Kansas, I didn't need, um, you know, the best boots in the world. I didn't, I didn't, in Michigan, I could walk out to my stand that was a hundred yards away in my knee high rubber boots and be perfectly fine. Right. Mm -hmm. Out here, you're, you're, you are putting on the miles. You're, you're walking up steep terrain. You need good ankle support. You can't have blisters on your feet. So you need a really rugged, uh, hiking boot that's, that's built for that type of terrain. So, um, and then along with that, you know, a good pack, and good clothing and um you know other things that go along with it if you want to be more of a backpack you know on the go 10 on your back you know your all your stuff on your back and just set up camp every night where you're hunting well that's going to take a whole whole nother set of um uh gear that you need you know as far as tents and camping gear and jet boils and all that stuff that goes along with it. So right, definitely, if you, if you don't pack it in, you don't, you, you don't have it. <laughs> yeah. You can't just walk back to your truck or walk back to your house. If, if something goes wrong or you forgot something, I mean, you're two, two plus, you know, some guys are five miles in uh, or more on a, on a hunt. So you really need to be prepared in, in that sense. Right. And for those, you know, listening, you know, it's, I'm, I'm sure most folks are kind of aware. It's like when you, when we talk about five miles, it's not, five miles across the the cornfield in a, in a hollow we're talking about you know in a lot of instances five miles in some of the nastiest stuff you've ever tried to walk through in in oh, you know, yeah when you get yeah, west brutal. yeah and i mean some of the areas i was hunting last year to be honest i'm not gonna go out there and say i hiked in like eight miles or five miles or anything i mean but a lot of the couple of days um some of the days i mean we'd go like two you know two to a certain area we'd, we'd cover you know seven to ten you know certain days as far as a big loop but to actually get to a certain spot we wanted to get to a lot of times we were only walking about two miles in at the most but like you said it's it's not just your flat terrain it's steep and then in that north facing dark timber there's so many blowdowns and just deadfalls and and trees and rocks it's 
you struggle to find a straight path to where you're trying to go. So you're just trying to find a game trail or just the path of least resistance. But a lot of times you're just stepping over blogs and there's no easy way to get to where you want to go. And a lot of, at least where I was hunting, I can't say the same thing for all of Colorado or elk hunting in general, because there's definitely different types of terrain, but right. you definitely uh, need to be in, in good shape to, to go on some of these hunts. Yeah, that's definitely one thing that I've, you know, upped my game on. Like I'm, you know, I, I'm, I work out in the morning before I go to work. It's kind of like my thing, you know, it's like I do it. It's, it's what keeps me sane and, you know, I do it to maintain just a healthy lifestyle and stuff like that. But I've definitely kind of upped the ante, you know, and it doesn't help that the two of the guys that I'm going with, like, well, one, my buddy, you know, uh, lives in Montana and he is, he just dominated a Spartan race this past weekend. Like, so <laughs> he, wow. uh, yeah, so he's he's in pretty good shape, and so that's one of the guys I'm going with. So it's uh, I've got to uh, make sure that I'm on top of my game, um, and not to mention that they're you know I'm I'm the oldest one in the crew, so there, there's also that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I said, you don't have to be in the best shape ever. You don't have to be a bodybuilder, ultra marathon runner, you know that type of guy to kill an elk, but again, it the more the better shape you are in, the more enjoyable it's going to be. Um, you're going to be able to hunt harder. You're going to be able to hunt longer. And again, you're just, you're going to have much more uh, of an enjoyable experience, uh, by being in better shape and, and preparing your body and gear and legs and feet and the whole nine yards. So definitely anything you can do to that extent, you're going to, it's going to pay dividends when you're actually out hunting. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, uh, I mean, I'm kind of living proof of that at the moment because I had to kind of reassess because like you said, it's like all my gear was geared toward whitetail, right? So most of it was heavy gear. You know, even if I'm hunting early season, it's like I didn't need to have necessarily lightweight gear per se because it's I just wear what I need to wear into the stand and I would just put on additional clothes once I got into the stand. So it wasn't and then I wasn't moving at that point. So if it was a little too heavy, it wouldn't be too bad. I wouldn't get too, too warm. But this is as we as we've kind of talked about is it an, is an active hunt. So you know, the issue of kind of getting overheated and, you know, and you're dealing with elevation, which, you know, provides some additional hydration challenges, you know, so you kind of, you kind of have to be smart about how you approach it to make sure, you know, one, that you're enjoyable, um, you know, having a, having a good time. Um, but two, it's like, you know, people also fail to kind of realize that, you know, especially when you get into some areas, it's, uh, um, you know, you are in the wilderness, you know, so there are, it's, it's, you know, you're not just a hop, skip and a jump away from someone giving you a hand or giving you help or, or, uh, you know, rescuing you if that is, if that's what's required. So you kind of have to make sure that you kind of cross your T's and dot your I's before you, before you kind of take on what I would like to call an adventure hunt. Yeah, exactly. It's a whole different ball game altogether. So let me ask you this. What's uh so as far as like one of the other things I'm kind of working on too, and I'm curious to get your perspective on it, is just extending my bow range, you know, cause in the whitetail woods, you know, it's like, I'm usually, as long as I'm comfortable out to 40 yards, like I'm pretty good. Like, cause I'm, I don't anticipate ever needing to take a shot further than 40 yards. You know, the only time that would maybe be beyond that was if, you know, if it was a hunting a food plot edge somewhere that there was nothing between me and the deer with, you know, except Aaron opportunity. Um, would be the only time that I would maybe take the shot beyond that. But, you know, is, is extending your bow range something that you kind of have to think about doing whenever you start thinking about hunting the, the, the Western style hunting? Oh yeah. Yeah. I would say so for sure. And it's, 
it's one of those things too typically the you know the game um that you're hunting especially for mule deer and elk i mean it's it's also a bigger target right so right. uh you know uh so that's that's definitely a difference but yeah i mean i i try to practice out pretty far i mean i'm not one of those guys who's practicing at 100 but i'm definitely reaching out there to you know 70 mm-hmm. uh, 60 and 70 i'm consistently kind of shooting at and you know i'd feel comfortable shooting at an elk you know 50 60 yards away if i had to as long as i'm putting putting groups into you know a six inch six inch or so uh kind of circle at 50 60 yards um you know i'm definitely going to be in the ballpark uh, of an elk at that range so that's kind of the way i look at it every scenario is a little bit different um i've always been i'll be i'll admit i'm not the best shot in the world Mm -hmm. but that's really not what hunting is is all about it's more than being you know being able to drive you know hit quarters at 100 it's it's more about being able to read the conditions read the animal get in on the stock and actually get the shot opportunity itself um and and then being a good shot you don't have to be you know a target archer um, caliber but you have to you definitely have to practice and and reach out to those longer distances um so yeah i i do try to practice a little bit longer and, and get comfortable in those scenarios right yeah it, yeah i mean it's you just got to make sure you're you know as long as you're in the you know killing at, at those distances you're you're good it's like there's not a you know um a perfectly placed shot versus a slightly less than perfectly placed shot as long as the animal goes down and you harvest it it's the it's the end result is all the same you know so i'm kind of the same way it's like i shoot a good bit um i like shooting so it's like i you know i i'm at the range pretty often um but it's uh, i'm by no means the best archer on the planet either it's uh i can get the job done and uh and, and that's what i plan to do whenever i hit the hit the woods it's like i'm not going for style points necessarily um yeah the, the style about the style points is the bone hanging on the wall, in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> That's the way I see it, man. I just, I, I, I don't care to be the best shot in the world. Yeah, I'm gonna try to be, but yeah, like you said, I want to put meat in the freezer. I want to have a successful hunt. I still want to ethically harvest an animal uh, quickly and humanely, and I'm gonna practice as as often as I can. So, um, yeah, definitely. Uh, practicing all year. I mean, you can't be one of those guys that just start yeah. shooting before the before right before the season opens it, it's muscle memory and especially for a western hunt i mean it's just more physical demanding again so um the more comfortably you can get uh the better prepared you are you're gonna be able to make it happen when that uh stage uh finally unfolds yeah it's like i've even taken to you know after shooting i'll jog to pick up my my uh, arrows and then come back and knock an arrow right away and try to shoot while my heart rate's up and try to kind of simulate as best you can of being under the uh, intense pressure of you know the stress of of the walking all day and then of course you know having a a beast of an animal screaming at you from 30 yards away so <laughs> oh yeah 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 anything helps like that for sure try right. to try to mimic those scenarios as much as possible it's only going to help you right so I know I've kept you here for about an hour and I do appreciate your time, man. So before I let you get going and on, uh, on with the rest of your evening, I wanted to uh, just see if you could give us a, uh, take us on a memorable hunt, if you will, and give us every detail from, you know, hopping out of the truck to when you're coming back to the tailgate. 
Yeah, probably. I mean, if you're more interested in elk, um, probably have to be the elk, the elk hunt I had this last year. It was, it was pretty epic. So do we want, do we want to go with that one? Yeah, man, let's go, let's go the elk route. We, uh, we, we, we talk a lot of deer hunting on here and I'm really, I'm really wanting to get some elk talk. So let's do that. Yeah, of course. So I'll, I'll try to keep it as short as possible, but there are a lot of kind of details that go into it, but I'll start back with that opening weekend. So um, I was, so I did an opening weekend hunt and then the following weekend, um, I had planned to hunt with a buddy, um, for a week straight in a different area. So back to opening weekend, I hiked in my very first elk hunt ever is going to be an overnight by myself, set up camp and then a hunt in the morning. And, um, so I hiked in there, bu- uh, bugles were just going off. It was, it was crazy. I couldn't believe it. Uh, didn't get a lick of sleep the whole night between <laughs> the elk bugling and, uh, me just being a newbie to that whole scenario by yourself a couple miles in in the mountains. Um, uh, I didn't sleep too well. So anyways, woke up in the morning and, um, I was right in them. I basically started from the tent, uh, had a five by five come through and, um, I think he was pressured from another hunter and just kind of moved through. So shortly after that, I always kind of like, I do this in whitetail hunting. I like to take a practice draw and just make sure everything's good, draw the arrow back, let down. Well, when I drew back, I was halfway let down and my cam snapped on my bow. So that, needless to say, that hunt was over. I packed up camp and, uh, headed, headed out of there. And, uh, so that hunt was over. That being said, I had the next hunt coming up just in a matter of days. So thankfully, I had a backup bow. And um, so I got that sighted back in. Um, wasn't been going to be able to get my um, new bow set back up in time in order to go on this next hunt. So I went into it knowing that I'd be using a backup bow. So day day one of that first week hunt, we're down in a different area now, me and a buddy. Uh, hike all day didn't see anything uh next the second day we go in and on the walk in in the morning we were using this kind of river um, rocky riverbed to access a certain area and i jumped off a log it was still dark and ended up rolling my ankle (laughs) uh really really bad to the point where i just I tried walking around on it for about another hour, uh, after that in the morning and just couldn't, couldn't do it anymore. I needed to get off it. So, um, so my buddy continued hunting and I, I left back, uh, headed back to camp and, uh, on the way back unbeknownst to me, I, uh, after I rolled my ankle, I had my bow on my back and was hiking back and my, uh, quiver must have fell off my uh bow and <laughs> so i got back to camp and with a rolled ankle on the second day and lost all my arrows um in my quiver i didn't have any uh broadheads left and it was just a mess so at that point after day two i was like oh my god you know elk sucks <laughs> <laughs> like this is the hardest thing in the world you know right. and super frustrated whatever so uh, that next morning, so this is the third day of the hunt. I, me and my buddy head back into town so I can get an ankle brace and, uh, some meds and get it wrapped up. So at least I can kind of hobble around to a certain extent and still be in, in the game. So, um, 
I luckily had some broadhead, uh, some backup broadheads uh, that I used uh, to continue the hunt and some backup arrows, but I lost all six arrows and whatnot. So I'm using a backup bow now with backup arrows with broadheads um, that I didn't want to be using, but really was my only choice right. um, at that time. So uh, yeah, so day day three, I didn't hunt in the morning. That time was spent recovering and getting bandaged up uh in town and came back up later that night and with my other buddy and i was just like you know hey i don't want to sit at the cabin I'd, I'd like to go hunting still but let's find a spot that we can easily access and doesn't require a lot of walking meaning i'm gonna, I'm gonna hunt pretty much next to the road right which is kind of what you hear opposite you're never gonna see anything uh there's gonna be other hunters there and, uh, you know, you're just wasting your time. So that's really what I thought going into it. But I was like, hey, at least I'm out here, right? right. There's always a chance. So, so we want to there's a chance. The- exactly, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Whether the, car- the cards be stacked against you, there's always that chance. So we hiked up in. Um, took about, you know, we probably hiked for about 10, 15 minutes. Mine, I, mine was more of a hobble slash uh, <laughs> kind of limp walk uh but we we basically set up over this meadow right so we wanted to see if anything if anything came out into that meadow we would see it and so we sat there for a couple hours and you kind of get that magic you know last half hour and i catch movement out in the meadow and uh, at first i thought it was one cow and one spike bull but after I got the antlers up or the binoculars up, I was able to tell that they were both bulls. And I still thought it was a spike, and the other one I was like, "Oh man, that could be a legal bull." Um, the area where I hunt, you have to have four points or more on one side in order to legally, um, to, in order to be a legal bull. Okay. So, anyways, I I I stalk in on it, and I credit my kind of western whitetail hunting experience to being able to to stalk in on these elk and. Um, I ended up getting uh, to within 40 yards, is about as far as I could get where they were out in this meadow. I picked the bigger one, drew back, shot, and drilled it right behind the shoulder. And at that moment, I was like, oh, holy cow, I made it happen. This is <laughs> the most epic story ever to overcome these odds and actually get a shot at an elk. And uh, so I thought I hit it great. Uh, the only thing I was concerned about was the uh, penetration. I'd only got about 10 inches or so what I thought uh, buried in that elk. So anyways, we wait a couple hours, come back, start tracking him, and find good bubbly lung blood. And I'm like, oh, yeah, dead dead elk. It's only, only a matter of time. Long story short, we tracked him about four hours that night till he bedded down. We found a bed, found my arrow, and uh, basically confirmed it was a single lung hit. And uh, so we backed out that night, came back the next morning. This is now day four. And um, searched for another four hours until we couldn't search anymore. The blood dried up and there was no elk at the end of it. Wow. So needless to say, after four days of hard hunting and, and finally getting a shot and then not recovering that animal was was devastating it was it was wow this could have been this could have been awesome but it wasn't meant to be right so we hunted that night and didn't see a thing uh, in a different area and then the last day of the hunt we went back to where we hunted on the first day in the morning and didn't see anything and i said 
if we don't get into any elk here by noon, we're hiking out of here and we're going to that other spot where I shot that elk, you know, two days before. Um, and so that's what we did. We didn't see anything. Went back up to that same meadow. Me and my buddy, we basically split up into two spots. So he, we went up into the top corner. He sat on one side. I sat on the other trying to um, put on an ambush scenario of where we thought these elk would come out based on what we'd seen uh, two days prior from the bull that I'd killed and didn't find or shot and didn't find. So um, last half hour of the hunt again, last night, last last uh, part of the day, we're set up and I hear uh, some, some uh, sticks break in the top part of the meadow and I look over and there's two cows right there. And I had done some cow calling, uh, prior to that. Uh, I don't know if they heard that or not, but anyways, they came at a beeline right st- straight towards my tree. And I was just kind of tucked under a uh, small spruce tree as, as a little kind of little made a makeshift ground blind to kind of cover my, my area. And, uh, literally they came right to my tree and they got so close to me that I think they smelled where I went in on the ground. I think they smelled my, my boot tracks. They were still upwind, but they knew something wasn't right and kind of spooked, right? And, and ran out in front of me and stopped at about 25 yards. So I was like, well, I've got an either sex tag. It's the last night of the hunt. I'm, I'll gladly shoot a cow. Right. And uh, so I began to start getting prepared to draw my bow back, and I hear some crashing over to my right and I look up and there's just this giant bull. I mean, giant to me, I guess, uh, coming right out of the timber where, where these cows had come out of following that same exact path. And I saw him step out and my, uh, (laughs) it's, it's tough to explain, but he was, he was a really big bull and, uh, he ended up being a six by seven. But anyways, Nice. He comes, does, does the same thing and comes to three yards. I'm on the ground. I'm basically looking this thing in the eye or I'm eye level with this thing on the ground at three yards. And it's the craziest experience of my life. <laughs> and, uh, he does the same thing. He kind of got boogered up and, and, and spooked. And, and when he slowed up at about the same spot, those cows did, I'd already been drawn back and, I let an arrow go and I buried that thing, double lunged him at 25 yards. Um, at this point, I couldn't believe what happened. It all happened so fast. This literally, this what I was telling you that between the cows and this bull took place over the course of maybe a minute and a half, two minutes. Right. So it's really quick. Um, and uh, so I shot him. He ran out of the field. My buddy saw the whole thing go down and. Uh, I knew I'd put a good hit on him and, and, uh, found my arrows covered in blood and walked over and we were just like, well, Hey, we still got daylight left. Let's give him a little time. And, uh, I was like, well, let's just follow him down to this little trail. And if we don't find any more blood or, you know, Hey, we should probably back out if we get to that certain point. But anyways, we got down there and he was laying in this little Creek bottom and, uh, yeah, it was it was pretty amazing to to walk up on that bull and uh, big six by seven public land over the counter uh, using a backup bow with backup arrows with a rolled ankle with all these things that were <laughs> shooting one and not finding one and then 
get shooting this bowl of this caliber it was just so surreal you know and uh it was it was just the hunt of a lifetime if i if i had to you know picture what a perfect rocky mountain elk hunt would be this would this would be it and uh so yeah shot him found him and he ended up scoring 312 Nice. As a by seven, a really really nice bull, and it's all downhill for me. Right, <laughs> I never shoot a bigger one than that ever again. But right, it was just an awesome hunt, and again, we were so close to the road um, because of, because of my ankle, I was hunting in that area um, that we drug him out whole. Oh, wow. and, I was just going to uh, ask you, I was like, with your boogered up ankle, how'd you get him out of there? yeah so so i was hunting with one buddy um called my other buddy and and a friend and they came up there and met us and we uh cut some poles and hooked up ropes to his antlers and and drug that thing out whole to my truck it's about a half mile (laughs) but it was it was all downhill so uh it was all downhill through a meadow and it's that's another crazy part of the thing i mean nobody drags out an elk hole especially on a elk hunt and public over-the-counter you know tags so it was just the whole hunt was just crazy and um you know i'm so thankful to be able to experience that and this and and really that hunt is is what i dreamed of moving out to colorado for and like that this is what i moved to the state and uh, to do and to have that happen in my first year of elk hunting was was pretty amazing so that's my story sorry that was a little long-winded but i kind of wanted to tell all the details to kind of give everybody the full picture no man that was awesome dude i mean the 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 full details kind of make it man it's it's uh you know it's the classic story of perseverance you know what i mean it's uh um you know you you kind of you keep kind of grinding you keep kind of grinding it's it's what hunting is, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, uh, especially when you get out in the, the Western States, you know, public land, you know, which is, uh, obviously a big hot button topic, you know, especially for outdoorsmen and stuff like that right now that, uh, you know, that's the kind of experiences that you can only get in those types of places, you know, yeah. it's, yeah. uh, so no, man, I'm happy for you, man. That's a, that's a, that's a great story, but, uh, I don't want to keep you much longer, man. I, I do appreciate you, uh, hanging out with me and uh talking deer and elk hunting but before i let you go let uh let folks at home know uh of some places they can go to find out more information about you or follow you yeah no i appreciate that uh yeah definitely check out my website it's transitionwild.com and really i started that website and blog as part of my um, experience moving uh, from the Midwest as a whitetail hunter to more of a big game Western hunter. So a lot of the articles I write and a lot of the content I produce is more geared to Western hunting, but I try to kind of show the similarities and differences of, of, you know, Midwest to to hunting the mountains. So check me out there, uh, transitionwild.com. I'm on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, so you can find me there as well and, uh, yeah, let me know what you think and always, uh, everyone's always welcome to contact me, shoot me an email or comment on a post. I'd love to hear from you. Nice. Yeah. And it's, I mean, you're a good follow. It's like, I do enjoy the, the, the content you put out. It's uh, it's authentic. It's real. It's, it's humble. Um, you know, which I think is 
um, you know, how the the direction the outdoor industry should, should move in terms of the media and, and, and so forth. So it's always, your posts are always very thoughtful and I, I definitely appreciate your perspective. So, but thanks for coming on, man. I won't eat up any more of your time. And, uh, here's to a, here's to a good September and I'm sure we'll be in touch before then. Sounds great, Clint. Thanks for having me on, man. Really appreciate it. All right, folks, that is a wrap for today's show. I want to thank Adam for joining us and be sure to check out his blog, Transition Wild at transitionwild.com and give him a follow on Facebook and Instagram. I'll put those links, of course, in the blog post show notes. Also, I want to thank all of you for tuning in and giving me an hour plus of your day. Be sure to hit that iTunes subscribe button so you don't miss an episode of the podcast. We've got more great guests coming up the next few weeks that you won't want to miss. Also, please head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star iTunes rating. We'd very much appreciate your review and if you'd like to get involved in the show and have us answer any questions or if you would like to recommend a topic for discussion email me your suggestions at truthfromthestand at gmail.com or click the email button on our instagram or facebook account and finally i need to give a big shout out to our partners that continue to help us make this podcast possible whitetail institute of north america exodus outdoor gear and lone wolf portable tree stands and until next time we'll see y'all All right, gang, the new Truth merch is in stock at truthfromthestand.com and on YouTube below any of the Truth From The Stand videos. I've got some new hats, beanies, t-shirts, long sleeve t-shirts, and sweatshirts. There's even a new do hard shit hat for those of us who like to embrace microdosing adversity. So head to truthfromthestand.com and check out the new gear and use the code TRUTH, T-R-U-T-H, and save yourself some cash on the new gear.